We have the red candles. I'm wearing my red shirt. It's Pentecost. But we're not all in one location like the 120 were so long ago. All right, last week we began by looking at verse 13 in the Gospel of Mark. And today we're going to look at the first chapter, the rest of the first chapter. It begins with verse 14 where when John the Baptist had been arrested following his baptism, which we briefly touched on last week. And now Jesus is ready to burst onto the scene. Remember, Mark is the first gospel written. It's the second book in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark. But it was the first written, probably around the year 60 AD. And the words of of Jesus are the very first words recorded in a gospel are in verse 15. Now, without looking, no cheating, what might you expect Jesus to say right out of the chute? Maybe like the Beatles, you would think him to say, all we need is love. Or maybe like Donald Trump, you would expect him to say, make Israel great again. Or maybe like Dr. Martin Luther King, it'd be a memorable line like, I have a dream. Or like Neil Armstrong, this is one giant leap for mankind. But Jesus said none of those things. His first recorded words in a gospel, here they are. This is what he said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The NIV version says the time has come. Well, what time has come? What does he mean by the kingdom of God is at hand? Are you surprised that Jesus sounds more like a a street preacher with a sandwich board sign yelling out to a disinterested crowd, repent and believe? He certainly doesn't look like the domesticated kind of lovey-dovey Jesus that too often we, we have shaped Jesus into, where Jesus is all love, 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 but nothing else. John tells us, that he came full of grace and truth, John 1:14, And the truth is, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does it mean to say the kingdom of God or the time has, has, is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand? Well, here's your one-minute anthropology, maybe ancient history, world religion, I don't know, lesson for the day. Non-Jewish religions at the time. The, the religions of the people you read about in the Old Testament, the Canaanites, Jebusites, Midianites, uh, uh, Philistines, they looked like, uh, like the four seasons of the year. They believed that history ran in, a, in the same way, death, fertility, taking turns, round and round and round we go on a cycle. Of course, The cycle has no beginning. There's no end. It's a giant circle of life. Sorry to you, circle of life Lion King fans. But that's not the biblical approach to history. The biblical approach to history is different. It's not that that we're on this giant cycle. In fact, history is going someplace. History is not a giant life and death circle. History has a beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. History has an end point. And that end point will happen. The Jews in Jesus' day believed that the end point would be when God Almighty breaks in, stops the natural flow of events, and judgment comes. The Jews referred to this end point as the day of the Lord. Sometimes they shortened it to just say the day, or in that day, capital D. Are you still with me? So Jesus burst on the scene. And what does he say? Jesus doesn't give the great commandment in Mark's gospel, chapter 12. You know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's not what he begins with. What he says in verse 15, something totally different. First words, out of the chute, the day is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
oh my goodness, we, we don't have enough time to totally unpack this. Maybe that's why you need to join the Zoom call tomorrow and you can talk a little bit more about this. But I'm going to go through this. You need to fasten your seatbelts, put your trays in the upright position because we're going to take off. We're going to do this speed lesson real quick. Here's what the Jews packed into that one little term, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord meant God will reign. Bad guys will get punished. Good guys will be rewarded. If you're a bad guy, it's scary. If you're a good guy, hooray, the day of the Lord has returned. And now Jesus shows up. And he says just that, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, end up on the good side, not the bad side. And believe in the gospel, believe in the forgiveness, mercy, justice. It's here, the good news, the time has come. You would expect such an announcement. This is what the people of Israel had been praying for, waiting for, for centuries and centuries. You would think that a, a mighty chorus of angels would break out in the hallelujah chorus or something when Jesus said that, or timpanies would be pounding, boom, boom, boom. The time has come. If it were today, maybe Jesus would have a walk-up song. If you're a baseball fan, oh, I can't tell you how much I miss they're not being baseball being played. Even though my team, the Tigers, they stink. They're a terrible team. I still miss them. Anyway, in baseball, when players are coming up to take their turn hitting or coming into the game, over the stadium sound system, a player will, will, will have them play a song. It'll be his song. So, for example, Randy Johnson, Hall of Fame baseball pitcher. When he came into a baseball game, this is what was played. That's probably the only time a Guns N' Roses song will ever be played in a sermon. When Prince Fielder, former Tiger, came up to bat, he played a Christian song. I like that one a little better. This is what was played. That one's a little better of a walk-up song. And then check, check this out. From last year, uh, uh, when, when Geraldo Parra of the Washington Nan Nationals, he used this as his walk-up song. We've got video of that one. So Jesus is making this huge announcement. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So what should be his walk-up song? I think I got it. Maybe I watched too much Space Jam with my boys growing up. And this is one reason why it's great to be back in the sanctuary, because I couldn't do this in my house. Carla can't run the sound system like our tech guys can run the sound system. But I think maybe, just maybe, Jesus would use this as his walk-up song. To the people who have been praying for centuries and centuries, the Messiah is here, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the champion, right? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then imagine if this song was playing. Hit it, boys. Wouldn't that be awesome? Honestly, I, I don't think it's that far-fetched from what Mark is trying to communicate in his gospel. Remember, remember, last week we talked about how Mark bookends his gospel with Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then with the centurion's words in Mark 15, truly this man is the Son of God. 
Then as we talked about last week, throughout the gospel, Jesus is trying to keep that message kind of on the down low. We're going to see it today. The demons are going to say, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, and Jesus is going to tell them, be silent, come out from him. And Mark, Mark wants the people to, to come to their own conclusion, that Jesus is the Messiah, to, to, to figure that out on their own as they read the story. Remember, this is the life and death thing when Mark is writing. He's writing in the year 60 AD. Christians are being eaten by lions in the Colosseum. If you were going to follow Jesus, you had to be all in. You had to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, not because someone said it. You've got to know it. You've got to know it for yourself. Deep in your bones, you've got to know it. You've got to know the resurrected Lord. If you're really going to put your neck on the line, literally, you needed to know it. So Mark reminds the people that Jesus hushed those that said he was the Messiah, and instead Jesus shows us that he's the Messiah. He does things that only God Almighty can do. In the rest of chapter 1, and really throughout the gospel, as Mark is writing, you're going to see that this guy, this guy Jesus, really is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. So I think Jesus' walk-up song will be, let's get ready to rumble. Because he's going to be taking on all the powers and the principalities of this world. All the hatred, all the lies, all the garbage, all the junk that Satan can throw at us. And through his action, through his life, we're going to see, see for ourselves, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of the God. It's the day of the Lord. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is on the scene and he's rolling up his sleeves. That's what I'm saying. Jesus, Jesus is the main event. Jesus has arrived. Let's get ready to rumble. Repent and believe. Well, the first thing that Jesus does, according to Mark, he gathers up four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Eventually, he'll have 12, as you know. But these are the first four, according to Mark. And we talked about in the Peter's Tale sermon series how, so we won't need to spend a lot of time there, but Jesus calls them to leave their boats, leave their livelihood, leave their families. In a minute, we're going to be introduced to, to Peter's mother-in-law. James and John have a daddy, good old Zebedee. And Jesus says, leave them, leave it all behind, become a fisher of men. And that's what they do. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Remember last week we talked about how 44 times Mark uses this word euthus, immediately. Immediately they left their nets. Immediately he called them. They dropped everything and followed. Just like that, immediately, euthus. And Jesus doesn't, hasn't done any miracles yet, remember. Hasn't raised anybody from the dead. It's just a message. The time has come. It's the main event. And these guys are following him. Jesus goes to Capernaum. And some of you have been to the Holy Land and you've been to Capernaum. You, you've seen the ruins of a church that was built over the synagogue where Jesus was in the first century, where Jesus actually walked. So it was on this day, on a Sabbath day, Good Jews went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. No such thing as live streaming at home in those days, watching the sermon in your jammies, sipping on your cup of Maxwell House. No, 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 that, that, that wasn't then. Soon, hopefully you'll be back here soon, soon, soon. Which, by the way, we're sending out a survey uh, tomorrow, I think, tomorrow or Tuesday, which will give us some input. It's really, really important that you help us with that, about our decisions about reopening and when we can get back together again. People in the first century, they didn't have to worry about that. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue. And any traveling rabbi would have an opportunity to speak 
when he showed up at the synagogue. Could you imagine if we operated that way today? You know, if every preacher in the crowd who's here on a Sunday can get up and share a few things on a normal Sunday, a normal Sunday like we used to, not normal like today when I'm the only one here, but on a normal Sunday, we might have, I don't know, 20 credentialed preachers in the crowd. Could you imagine if we gave them all an opportunity to speak and to share? Oh my goodness, we'd be here forever. And some of those are, preachers are long-winded. They like to hear their own voice. And so when they say finally, that means, you know, absolutely nothing. Well, a traveling rabbi could, could show up at a synagogue and speak. And that's exactly what happens with Jesus. They went to Capernaum and immediately, Euthus again, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. The scribes. Their teaching method was to quote as many rabbis as they possibly could. So, so they might read a tiny little bit of a passage of scripture, and then they would rattle off all these smart guys, what all the smart guys said about that passage. And so it was quote upon quote upon quote upon quote ad nauseum. Ah! And the scribes were so proud of themselves when they could go on longer, 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 quoting rabbi after rabbi after rabbi, but not Jesus. Jesus spoke with one who had authority over God's word. He spoke like, well, he spoke like he was rolling up his sleeves. Oh yeah, he was ready to rumble. In the crowd that day, on that Sabbath day, in the synagogue was a guy possessed by an evil spirit. Now the question could be raised, why in the world with a dude who is possessed by an evil spirit be in the synagogue in the first place? You would think a dude who's possessed by an evil spirit would be as far away as possible from the synagogue, especially on the day that Jesus showed up. So in the spirit, no pun intended, of C.S. Lewis and the Screwtape Letters, pretend, just pretend, just for a minute, that you're that evil spirit. Maybe you'd say, you know, I, I, I was going I to I make a joke that if you were that evil spirit, your name would be Sparty, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that today. But imagine, 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 you're that little demon who has filled this poor guy, filled him with the devil for quite a while. And maybe you're thinking, well, just for fun, you'll try to disrupt the service at the synagogue. Maybe toss out a vulgar phrase, some random curses, maybe stare at a lady to the point of extreme uncomfortableness. You'll spread some gossip, some rumors, you know, the regular evil spirit stuff. But on this particular Sabbath day, you're at the synagogue contemplating how you're going to mess things up for everybody. And in he walks. This one who absolutely reeks of heaven. You, you do a demonic double take. Know this, all of heaven and all of hell knows exactly who this guy is. Remember what James says in chapter 2. You believe that God is one, you, you do well. Even the demons believe at that and shudder. This demon is shuddering. He knows who's just walked through the door. And suddenly you're not so comfortable. Suddenly it's not all fun and games. What's he doing here? You thought you'd be safe in podunk Capernaum. And yet he starts talking. He starts saying the kingdom of God is at hand and the time is fulfilled. You know exactly what that means. Time is fulfilled means your time is up. You can hardly stand his holy presence. How do these other people not see it? How do they miss that the king of kings and lord of lords is right in the room with them? Then you decide. No messing around, no beating around the bush. You blurt it out. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus steps up. 
you know what's going to happen. He's going to roll up his sleeves. I like it. Carla could never do this in our living room. Some demon, some, this guy, he would be saying, are you kidding me? Jesus is right here. And Jesus comes forward and puts up his dukes and says, be silent and come out of him. Remember, Jesus doesn't want his identity known. And this demon is a blabbermouth. Shut up your yapper, Jesus is saying. So, so far we've seen Jesus. He's, he's the one that calls people and they drop everything to follow him. And demons know exactly who he is. And then Jesus and the, and the fellows, they leave the synagogue. They, they head to Peter's house. Remember, these are probably Peter's stories from Peter's sermons that Mark had interpreted, and now he's retelling. So they show up at Peter's house, and they're expecting a fine post-synagogue dinner. Growing up, my mom on Sunday would always make roast beef, mashed potatoes, green beans. That was the menu. Unfortunately, my mom really never figured out the timer on the oven, and sometimes I think we had long-winded preachers, and so plenty of times the sermon went long, or we didn't get home soon enough, and, and our dinner was best described as a burnt sacrifice. Well, James and John and Andrew and Peter and Jesus, they go to Pete's house, but Peter's mother-in-law, they didn't even get the burnt sacrifice. His mother-in-law is sick in bed. And the Bible tells us this, that Jesus came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now, it's, it's, Jesus is saying, all right, boys, it's supper time. You know what? We just talked about this great miracle in the synagogue. Jesus chased a demon out of a guy, and now he's at Peter's house, and his mother-in-law has a, has a small need, maybe, a fever. She didn't have COVID-19. Maybe it was just a little bug of some sort. What matters is the needy matter to Jesus. Let me tell you, maybe you're like, maybe you're like Peter's mother-in-law, and you just need Jesus to lift you up. See, it didn't matter which end of the spectrum uh, the need was. Big need, little need. It didn't matter that this happened on a Sabbath day. Jesus is there to pick you up. Now, the Pharisees are going to be very bothered that Jesus heals on the Sabbath day. Rules are rules, and rules are not meant to be broken, especially the Sabbath day rule. What mattered to Jesus, what has always mattered to Jesus, is people. Jesus, Jesus wants to, to see you through that situation you face. And maybe you've had a really rough week. Maybe you've had a rough life. Hear me. Jesus wants to help you up. Jesus wants to lift you up. One of the consequences of this coronavirus mess, I think, a stay-at-home order, is people's mental health, their mental well-being. And there's a lot of people that are struggling I was able to, to be out there passing out the Bibles uh, and the Gospel of Mark journals to folks, and some of them talked to me, and they really talked about some really real struggles that they're having. And being quarantined has lifted some of those experiences of depression and fears and worries, and they may be getting you. You know what? Jesus wants to lift you up. All right, let me keep reading. Verse 32. That evening at sundown, the Sabbath was over, so, so folks started lining up outside Peter's house. It was like it was a Black Friday sale at Best Buy and Dell computers were selling for $29.99. So they brought everybody with them and the Bible says they brought everyone with them who was sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered out at the front door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak 
because they knew him. Of course they knew him. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. Of course they knew him. And they were shuddering. Jesus shows up in town in every sickness, blindness, crippled by various diseases, cancer, yellow belly fever, whatever those sick folks in Capernaum have. COVID-19 wasn't around then, but believe me, it falls within his capabilities. The message is Jesus is the great physician. And you know what happens when he faced all those diseases? He rolled up his sleeves. That's absolutely right. No sickness, no trouble, no pain, no problem is too tough for Jesus. From there, it goes on. It's a very busy 24 hours for Jesus. The Bible reads this way. And then rising very early in the morning. So after a full day of preaching and healing folks and after a full day of of all of that, early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. There he prayed. I've told you before, listen, if Jesus needs to pray about life and decisions, how much more do we need to pray? And Simon and all those, verse 36 says, Simon and all those who were with him, James, John, Andrew, who knows, maybe even his his newly healed mother-in-law, were out searching for Jesus. The word search there conveys the idea that they had rounded up a search party. What's happened to Jesus? Where's Jesus? We got to find Jesus. Verse 37, and they found him. And said to him, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, we've been frantically searching for you. Verse 38. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The implication is that Peter and the rest of the search party wanted Jesus to stick around Capernaum. He had a great and wonderful day. He he healed their sick friends and made them well. He was casting out demons left and right. The news about Jesus was spreading. So, So maybe Jesus could set up a little office, a neon sign that read, Jesus, the miracle worker and demon chaser outer. That would be awesome. The, the, the champion is in. And his fame was spreading in such a crazy manner that, that people would probably come, probably come from miles around. And maybe... Just maybe that was a temptation for Jesus. You know, earlier, verse 13 tells us that Jesus was out in the wilderness and was tempted. And often I think we don't think that, that, that Jesus was ever tempted after that, that that was the only time Jesus was tempted. But the author of Hebrews would say, for we, have, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. We all face temptations every single day that will draw us away from Jesus, not toward Jesus. So don't think that the only time Jesus was tempted was when he was in the wilderness. And Jesus' answer to those temptations is he got up early while it was still dark in that desolate place. You know what happened. He rolled up his sleeves. Listen, when you're facing temptations, when the enemy has you under attack, when you don't think that that you can be victorious, go to the one who's wrestled in prayer. Be like Jesus. He'll see that you can make it. He defeats the devil every time. Why tell you all this? I want you to know whatever you're going through, whatever problem has reared its ugly head in these last three months in your life, quarantine has not helped. If you were lonely before all this mess, you're probably lonelier now. 
If you had marriage problems before all this mess, quarantine has not helped. If you were sick before, maybe you're sicker now. If you had emotional issues before, maybe it's worse now. If you had addictions, the pull is still huge. If you had temptations, Satan hasn't taken a vacation during quarantine. What's needed? Why tell you all this? Let Let me tell you this. Jesus is willing to lift you up and to set you free. We have a Savior who rolls up his sleeves and says, all those problems, all those worries, all that junk, all that weight that you've been carrying, all those bad memories, all those terrible things. Jesus says, let's get ready to rumble. He's the victorious one, the champion, the undefeated, undisputed champion of the world. And best of all, he's on your side. So you can go to him, run to him. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says, seek and you will find. The Bible says, the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And the Bible answers its own question. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My brothers and sisters, we've got a champion in our corner. We've got one that goes toe to toe with our struggles and our worries and our fears and our temptations and our bad habits and all the rest. And he wins if we let him fight for us. If we let him go into the battle for us, he wins. So my friends, go to him. Go to him today. Go to him even now. Know that Jesus Christ loves you, cares for you. And he sees those battles you're facing. He says, let's get ready to rumble. Are you ready for this? Let's pray. Lord, some of us are in our homes, some of us are in our cars, some of us may be jogging and listening to this as a podcast. But we pray wherever we are, your word says that if we call on you, we can be saved. Whatever we're going through, we can call on you. You are our champion. You're in our corner. You will go toe-to-toe with those things that, that burden us or that weigh us down or that are such a huge struggle. And when we release those issues and those problems and those sins and those worries and those fears to you, you make a way, a beautiful way for each one of us. So Lord, would you do that? If there's anyone listening right now that has never accepted you into their heart and life, that's the first step. Lord, how we pray that they would seek you. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you to fill my life. I'm sorry for everything I've done. Repent and believe. That's the message you gave. And so for anyone who's never done that, we pray they do that even now. And for Lord, for some of the rest of us who have different struggles and different worries and different issues, Lord, how we pray that we would give them over to you. You're the champion. You're the undisputed champion. And so we give those worries and those burdens to you. You can go toe-to-toe with them. We can't. You're strong. We're weak. We need you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work. Thank you, Lord, for this Pentecost Sunday. Thank you for the folks that have tuned in. Be with us, Lord. Help help us to get back together soon in person. That's what we can't wait for. But be with us until then. In Jesus' name. Amen.